and welcome to Behind the Biography. I'm your host, Joe Thompson, pronouns he and him. Here at the BTB Podcast, we are celebrating the kickoff of our second season with special guest, Abhinav Kanal. Abhi is the co-founder of two organizations, Bean Voyage, where he holds the title of Executive Director, and Little Big Fund, where he assumes the title of Chief Thought Officer. This Nepal native, whose passion for international education has landed him great recognition and many awards for the work he and co-founder Tark Sungji has accomplished with Bean Voyage. They've been leading the charge in eliminating gender-based discrimination, one coffee bean at a time. And I'm thrilled to be joined on the podcast today by Abhi Kanal as we go behind the biography. Abhi, thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Really glad to be here. Absolutely, man. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to, to get season two kind of kicked off and started here. Um, it's amazing to have an, an entrepreneur uh, like you here on the call today, and I'm really, really excited to talk a little bit more about that. And like I mentioned, go behind your biography a little bit deeper, talk about some of the things you may not be able to read if you, you know, clicked on your LinkedIn profile or, or, or the Bean Voyage uh, webpage there. So... No, yeah, for sure. I'm glad to have the space and, and happy to kind of go behind the go beyond the biography for sure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So before we get started with all of that, I, I think the big question is, what's Bean Voyage? Talk to us about that and how that idea came to you all. For sure. So Bean Voyage is a it's a feminist nonprofit with a mission to eradicate the the gender gap in farming communities. We started uh, way back in, in 2015 while while we were in college. We actually went to a a small liberal arts school in, in rural Indiana, in, in Richmond, Indiana. And, and the university had these Quaker education and Quaker values that were inst instilled on us as, as part of the, the education system. And we learned a great deal about social justice, social entrepreneurship, and what it means to be involved in these programs. So, you know, we, we always kept an open mind. And, and in 2015, we got an opportunity uh, to travel with a very close friend of ours who's from Costa Rica. She invited us to uh, traveled to her community, which is further down in, in Costa Rica. Um, as kind of the context to that, we helped support raise some funding for the community to build a community center. Uh, they were looking at kind of expanding some social programming. And so Sanghi and myself, Sanghi being the, the other co-founder of Bean Voyage, we got involved, we, we jumped on, on board, did all the things you do in college, right? Selling cupcakes, going to our professors, getting all that donations. Uh, as a result of which we, we actually raised funding for it and then our university basically sponsored us to go travel and and be able to actually see some of the work and, and be more involved and that was the kind of first opening point for us to to learn more about coffee um both Sunki and i i'm, I'm originally from nepal Sunki's from south korea we'd grown up in families that that had been built on agriculture and, and still still heavily depend on it uh to some extent and so we, we understood the value of agriculture uh, but coffee was new for both of us. We'd, we'd both consumed a lot of it, especially in college, but weren't weren't as familiar with it as as a crop as from a producer side. And that was the first time in in, in December of, of 2014 was the first time, and then 2015 we really got deeper into it. Uh, I went back a couple more times, and, and we started really understanding the supply chain of of the whole sector, and we realized a couple of things that that kind of felt into an intersection. So the first one was just the the volatility of price, right? Farmers spend a lot more producing a, a cup of coffee than they actually earn from it. That's it, it's a purely loss-making business right now for a majority of the world's coffee farmers, and and that just was kind of shocking considering how much more we're paying every single right. year. 
but then there was the other layer that and that's where the intersection hits for us is that the, when, when you put a gender layer to it and a gender lens smallholder women then are even earning less and sometimes as less as 39 percent less than than the male count male counterparts right it's because of gender-based discrimination because of the the kind of double burden that a lot of them are facing and so that really kind of you know drove the drove the the idea home for us to start a, a an organization with a mission to really eradicate that gap and that's what we've been doing for the the last five six years at, at Bean Voyage. Awesome, awesome. So before we talk a little bit about Costa Rica and being there, talk to me about some of the women who are supported by Bean Voyage. I know you went out there and you've been able to meet these individuals, to learn their stories, to get connected with their families, to be truly a part of their communities. Talk to us a little bit more about them because they seem to be kind of the the thriving, the part that's you know making the business thrive and keeping Bon Voyage where it is. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think the, the, the one story that, that always comes to mind for us is, is that of Doña Erika. She's actually kind of the, the farmer or the participant number one. And, you know, again, we started when we were in college, right? Very little capital, very little experience, frankly speaking. We, we had the passion, the desire to do something, uh, having connected with people, but we needed someone to believe in us. And at that time, you know, you've got the mentors, you've got the professor saying you can do it. But the people that really mattered to us was, were people like Doni Erika, and she was the first person. Uh, she comes from a really little um, town called Caltarrasu, which is in a, a region called Los Santos. It's one of the biggest coffee producing regions. And wherever you go in the world, if you see Costa Rican coffee, you see the coffee from that region. It's, it's kind of famous like that. Uh, but, but her case was, was fairly different. She, she runs a family-owned farm. Uh, she, she, along with her three daughters and her partner, run this this little farm and for, for many years it's been a, a family kind of heirloom it's passed on by one person to another but but at some point especially in the last couple of decades with with this volatility that we're seeing in pricing it just had not made sense for her to continue with with the way things have been and so when we met Doña Erika we actually you know shared you know we exchanged meals we exchanged stories and as part of that story and the storytelling has been such a big part of our work we, we started learning that she had these big dreams and she had a vision for where she wanted to take her farm. And so rather than in Bean Voyage now, we work with a bit over 500 producers throughout the country. Of course, the number sounds big now, but it really started with one person's vision to make a sustainable farm, to have a farm where she wasn't just producing the coffee and then selling it out to someone who then did whatever. She wanted to be able to actually process it herself she wanted to be able to actually roast the coffee and, and then be able to actually meet the buyers. And, and for us, that became our kind of mission. Uh, at that point, nothing else mattered. It wasn't about 500. It was about Doña Erika. And so uh, ever since, and she's one of our closest kind of collaborators over, over the years, we've worked closely with her. Today, if you actually visit her, which you can now, you can kind of look her up on, on Google Maps even. She's, she's grown not only a coffee farming business, but she's grown a processing business. She processes in her own backyard. She's able to actually have roasted coffee that you can buy at her farm. You can travel to Costa Rica and you can buy it at the farm. Uh, and, and just last year, last Christmas, we were visiting her. And despite of COVID, we got a little bit of FaceTime and, and she gifted us these bottles where now she's making these coffee liquors that, that now she's able to diversify and like earn income. And, and for us, that's really where we, we hope that most of our producers can go to. So I'll leave you with that one story, but that's definitely something that, that, drives, us, that drives us forward every single day. I absolutely love that. I, you know, being able to connect with your consumer, being able to not only focus on supply and demand, 
but to be able to focus on the needs of the actual supplier, I think has been uh, one, uh, I'm sure a joy for her to work with you all. And then two is probably an easy way for that kind of word of mouth business about who being Voyage is, what you're able to provide is makes it a lot easier. Would you agree? For sure. And not, not just within the community itself. And it's, it's been nationally, you know, we, we tried the, the Facebook ads and the, the, the typical marketing techniques to recruit producers. At the end of the day, most of our producers are recruited through referrals. And, and, and funny enough, we just use a very simple platform. We use WhatsApp because that's what everyone's connected through. And, and one producer will tell 10 of their friends and, and Doña Erika has not only been responsible for bringing in more producers to join our program every year, this year, she actually brought in a funder. So we're, we're a nonprofit organization. She brought a funder to fund some that of our training awesome. work. And so that that's kind of an incredible, she, she went out and out of her way, kind of pitched the organization to a, a, a local company that then was connected to us through our, and, and they ended up funding some of our training this year. So that's that's kind of been incredible to see as well as as a, as a result of that, that partnership. Oh my goodness. Hey, referral business is the best business. That's what we say here. So I, I love it. I love to hear it. Um, describe Costa Rica. What was that like? December 2014, you all head over there for the first time, looking to what I believe was put together some workshops again, community uplift, community outreach, build up the community, put some community centers out there. And now we're talking about being in the coffee bean industry. Talk to me about how beautiful Costa Rica was when you first landed there and not knowing what to expect. Oh, absolutely one of my favorite places in the world. And, you know, I've, I've lived there for many years now. And so it's kind of been a, a place that that, that we consider home. And, and, and I think the, the big thing with, with Costa Rica, and, and it's kind of a popular saying among, among foreigners as well, they talk a lot about this concept of the pura vida, the, the pure life. And, and there's, there's something about that philosophy that's very welcoming. And, and that was really refreshing for both my co-founders and I. You know, we'd lived in the U.S. I, I studied a couple of years in Canada. And although, you know, U.S., Canada, they're, they're cultures that, that are melting pots, there's still elements where you still, it didn't feel like home. And, and, and having lived in rural Indiana, I could just kind of definitely be transparent and say it didn't feel like home a lot of the times, right? Going to Costa Rica, a Nepali person, a South Korean, does not speak the best of Spanish. This is back in 2014. We'd taken a couple of classes. Eventually, we ended up like studying a lot more and, and now we can speak. But you know, at, at first glance, we're not the ideal candidates for people that come even as tourists, right? And, and they were just so welcoming. We, we lived in, in a specific community for, for a bit over a month. And, and during that time, they considered us to be part of their, their, their neighborhood. We did Christmas with them. We did New Year's with them. And, and it was just open, you know, the, the sharing of, of meals, the sharing of stories. That always is a unique way for, for us to open up to each other. Uh, and so that's really been, been a highlight for us. I think when, if, whenever I think of Costa Rica and, and my main highlights, for me, it's, it's going to coffee farms. And you know, being able to spend a day in a, in a plant um, with the producers, sharing a meal. They have this lunch that you can actually eat in the in the farm itself. It's it's packaged in banana leaf, and you open it up. It's got the the tortilla with some rice beans. It's it's yummy. That's really for me what Costa Rica is. There's obviously the other side, which most people know, which is the, the beaches and the mountains and the. Unfortunately, and maybe fortunately, that's not what Sanki and I have lived as much. We've been to a few of the beaches, but for us, it's it's been a lot of those coffee farm visits and, and spending those one-on-one -on -one time with our uh, our partner producers. Awesome. How is uh, 
Costa Rica. Like we heard, we've heard how I'm gonna pronounce her name correctly. Is it, is it pronounce her name one more time for me? Sengi Sengi Tark. So yeah. Um, how has Costa Rica evolved for you all since that, that kind of first visit back in 2014 versus when when was the last time you all were there? A, a, month, a month ago. ago. So we are there just, yeah, yeah. So we've been, we've been back and forth for a while. And sometimes I, I spent a whole nice. year um, kind of during, during COVID there. So it was, it was, it was a beautiful place to, to live. Um, and, and, and I think the, the biggest way in which Costa Rica has evolved for us is that it's gone from a place, and this happens a lot, especially when you're, you're studying abroad or you're traveling to places, is that places become slowly home and, and the definition of home kind of comes to, to its own place and its own time, right? You want something to be home right away, but it takes its time. And of course, that first year, there's the language barrier. Uh, an interesting story, this is related to like food is, uh, well, the first day we got there, it was about, it was in December, so it was around kind of Christmas time. And they make these things called tamales, which I'm sure like folks have, have tried it super yummy. There's pork in it and, and they usually kind of skin out a whole pork and it's a whole thing, right? We, we get to my friend's house and their family had done this whole thing and they'd had this pork kind of like upside down blood. I'd grown up primarily in Hindu culture from a different part of the world where, where meat eating generally and then obviously pork. So for me, that was a whole place of, of not being really sure of what I was going to do. And, and I would say that story kind of resembles that first couple of years of trying to really assimilate ourselves into the culture, the language, uh, understanding how people actually work, which is so different from how we'd learn in the U.S. or how we'd work in other parts of the world. And, and then now we have a general sense of, of what the local cultures are, how people communicate, the smallest of things that, that we have now learned allows us to thrive a lot more. So I think in, in many ways, that's that's been a, a big piece of, of what Costa Rica has become. It's kind of our, our neighborhood um, at, 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 as opposed to kind of this, this scary place where we don't really understand anything, which was kind of back in 2014. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so I think one of the things that I typically enjoy about having the opportunity to speak with individuals is we kind of get to talk about the things that uh, you're able to celebrate some of the recognition that you've received, some of the awards that you all have received. And I think now is a as good a time as any to talk a little bit about some of the things you've been able to, um, some of the successes you all have been able to, to accomplish. So talk to me a little bit about uh, 2016, the Emma Watson Gender Equality Award. What was yeah, that? Was that no, time that was... Like? Yeah, no, for sure. That was a that was an exciting early momentum. We had just, I mean, we had just started. We'd done a pilot in in college. It, it'd been year one of, of fully kind of starting Bean Voyage, and and we were just all over the place, right? We're still trying to figure out the registration, the 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 the, the programmatic element was still early stage. We had zero dollars in our bank account at this point. We got a, a little grant from college when we when we graduated, but that was pretty much it. So we're really all over the place. And then we get a phone call uh, and I, I was actually top of a hill. I was got a phone call and someone from from with a British accent just calls me up from from the UK and says, hey, we're hosting this conference. It's happening in, in Ottawa and, uh, in, in September. And this was around, I think, July or August uh, of 2016. And, and we'd love for you to, to join us for the conference. I had submitted an application to participate. And then somewhere towards the end, they were like, yeah, there's going to be a special guest that's going to come and you're going to get a, a specific recognition for your work. 
And again, we're still figuring things out. So we're not really at a place. Today, I would feel very, very comfortable getting that, that award and our team would. Back then, we don't even know where we're going. We're still figuring things out. So it was quite a, a big thing for us of who's recognizing. For about two months, we didn't actually know it was Emma Watson. They, they had these security measures. So we didn't know who it was. They just said it was a celebrity. They said, like, you're going to get some recognition. They gave us a script of, you know, like, oh, you're going to go up on stage and you're going to you know talk to. It was about 1,500 people that were, like, attending that concert. So it was quite a lot of people. Uh, and so, you know, two months later, we found out we had a, a fantastic time. Uh, at that time, everyone in our team was in, in different places. And so I was kind of the representative. And so I was kind of representing Bean Voyage. And we were on a, on a panel. We had a, a wonderful opportunity to um, have lunch with Emma Watson, which was really cool. Obviously, something that I'm going to tell my kids, I guess, in the future, too. Uh, but, but kind of, I, I think, at the core of it all, what was really cool is, is that um, on, on the day of, of that con event itself, uh, we were waiting in line before we went up on stage. Um, and, and because my name starts with A, I'm usually at the front of every line, which is like how it regularly happens. So I was in the front of the panel of people to go out. And then Emma Watson walks in and she's, she's about to go introduce all of us. And she was introducing us individually. And then she looked at me and she said, I'm so nervous. And then I thought, wait, I, I was really nervous. But then if you're nervous, I'm okay. Like, I guess we're all humans. And so then we got up on stage. We had a fantastic conversation. It really, it really pushed us forward. It propelled Bean Voyage in, in a way that I think it would have taken us a bit longer because it put a lot of light on, on potential funders. Immediately after that, we, we received some funding from organizations that had attended the conference. Uh, obviously, with that kind of opportunity of getting some of that light, it, it allowed us to also make a stronger case for, for why the gender gap needed to be reduced in, in farming communities. Uh, so all in all, it was a, a fantastic experience. Um, I will tell this, and a lot of your, your uh, listeners might be disappointed, I had not read or watched Harry Potter by then. And so I really disappointed a lot of my friends by not having as much context that that they would have liked for me to have. Um, oh, man. Hopefully not too many people would, would, would hold that against you considering the opportunity you were presented with, right? <laughs> That's a yeah, good one. Sure. Okay, so then in 2018, you you all win the you all win Facebook's, uh, what is it, social, um, is a social entrepreneurship award. How did that opportunity come about? Um, and, and, and talk to us a little bit about the benefits that uh, Being Voyage saw from that. For sure. So that was a that was an interesting year for the award we'd applied. Um, again, I think one of the things that you have to do, especially in that early stage, is, is to keep your horizons open to different opportunities, right? Uh, and so this was one of those other opportunities. It was sponsored jointly by Facebook and by One Young World. And the two organizations came together and they had this opportunity. And, and they had people from all over the world apply. And, and the grand prize was this 50K in ad credits along with mentorship from one of the VPs at Facebook at that time. Um, and, and Carolyn Everson, who'd previously worked at MTV, was quite uh, involved in, in the mentorship process. So we applied for the, the application. We got through kind of this initial round. And then, you know, kind of in the similar way, you, you send a lot of things out. And especially in the early days, you're submitting applications every week. And so you're not even keeping track of like what has been successful or not. So it was kind of in the similar light. It was a, it was a February uh, of 2018 when we got an email saying, hey, you're going to be the winner. 
getting this this grand announcement. It was a, a Facebook Live done through the official Facebook channel, uh, and Carolyn Everson kind of announced us as winners. And and then we got we got a whole year, so we had about twelve months of of mentorship with her, which was really helpful in in that stage because we we're looking at adding uh, a stronger market component to our program. Um, initially, we were working with only a couple of farmers. It was a lot easier to sell coffee, right? It was a lot easier to get that to market. It was starting to get a little harder because that year we, we worked with 47 producers. So all of a sudden that number meant we had to ramp up marketing. We had to ramp up our, our outreach. So it was, it was helpful for, for that reason. And, and we definitely kind of made the most of the, the ad credits that, that we got that year as well. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, let's talk about one last one, your most recent um, fellowship. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll want to take it back uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll take a journey back in time after we talk a little bit about your most recent um, recognition. Yeah, I, I, um, just a quick question. Are you referring to the RICO sure Fellowship? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. sounds good. Um, yeah, so, so the RICO Fellowship was, was it's been an exciting fellowship. So it's, it's something that, that three of our teammates have received it in, in the last couple nice. of years. So it's been kind of cool to, to have that opportunity. It, it's awarded by the, the Speciality Coffee Association. Okay. Uh, and so this was our kind of first major industry recognition. And that's important, right? We're, we're working in the coffee sector as social entrepreneurs, we're obviously focused on the impact we're having at a, at a community level, the income levels and all of that is, is so, so important. And it's also important to have the industry, the specialty coffee sector say, hey, we see your work and we recognize that what you're doing is making a difference, it's moving the needle. And so um, Sangi uh, actually received it first in 2019. Um, so that was the first year that she got the, the, the RICO Fellowship. Uh, and then last year and this year, so um, one of our program managers, Fernanda, who's in Costa Rica, she received a fellowship and then I also received a fellowship. So it's been kind of wonderful to kind of get that individual recognition, but also as a team be like, okay, the sector is is looking at us and saying, you're you're developing a venture and a team that's that's trying to make sure that this this industry is is more equitable, it's it's more um, sustainable than than what we've had in the future. So that that was a, a wonderful opportunity we we got to attend and you know due to COVID the, the conference didn't happen in person but uh, we got to attend the virtual conference that that they usually host. Uh, it's called a Rico Symposium and and Fernanda our, our program manager was able to actually present uh, Bean Voyage and our work thus far to a, to a large audience of coffee professionals from around the world which was really really exciting as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, it, it's great to be able to, like I said, celebrate your wins. Um, we want to do it when we have the opportunity to. Um, while we have you now is the best time to do it. So let's talk, uh, let's go back a little bit. Um, so we talked a little bit, you're from Nepal. Um, and I, I read you spent a little bit of time in, in Canada as well. And then college in, in Indiana. Talk about just kind of your early days traveling being in these kind of three very different places um, and, and how that was in, in terms of your upbringing? For sure. That's a great question. Um, so, so yeah, I was born in Nepal. This is, you know, uh, my parents were, uh, till last year, there were um, foreign service workers for the government of Nepal. And so they basically represented the country um, throughout the world. And so I was born in, in 92 and then less than a year later, we were living in China and spent like four years there. And, and every kind of few years, we traveled to a new country. So we lived in, in Saudi Arabia, in, in Bangladesh. They spent some time in Israel, Palestine as well. And so they would travel and then we would kind of pack our suitcases and, and go with them. 
And I say that that context because that's kind of what life has been even after they kind of retired and we grew up. And so basically at some point when I was uh, when I was 16, 17, I, I, I got a, a really cool scholarship in, in uh, Vancouver Island, uh, which is kind of really further west in, in Canada. Uh, and so we got to spend time with 200 young people from all over the world. Um, everyone kind of representing different country from different parts of the world. Uh, everyone had a similar passion for social change and, and, and justice. Uh, and so I ended up actually in that school. The, the funny thing, and this is kind of how, how karma works, is that Sanghi also went to a similar school. It's the, it's the same kind of umbrella in India, in, in Pune in India. And so she came from South Korea to India. I came from like Nepal to like Canada. And then we ended up meeting in college and then started this company together, which is really cool. So that was, that was kind of my first... Um, big educational experience, but I had always had that experience of moving uh, from one culture and one civilization to another. I spent about two years there. Um, that was kind of my high school two years, um, and then went for college in, in Richmond, Indiana, which was about four years. During the time in, in Indiana, we ended up you know, traveling to Costa Rica for a bit. Uh, we spent a bunch of time in Spain. Uh, we did our, our study abroad, which really was interesting because it was like already studying abroad in, in the U.S., but then we got to go to Spain and study abroad again, which was, which was such a pleasure for us and super honorable uh, time and, and, and really kind of a fun place to sharpen our Spanish, get to learn a bit more about the culture year there. So so it's been quite a lot of those kind of jumping around, but I think I always credit that to my parents and in those early days of just moving every few years and I'm just kind of carrying on what they started. I love guess. it, love it, love it. So did you, let me ask you this, did you always have say an entrepreneurial spirit or were you kind of like a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast where you kind of stumbled into it? Um, how did that spirit come about? Has it always been with you? Did you always think about it? Or like I said, did you stumble into it? Yeah, I, I think in, in some ways you start from an issue, you start from something you're passionate about, and then it, it calls you into one of many options, right? It, it could be you know doing research and getting into academia. It could be starting your own venture. It could also be getting a job at some place, which is you know doing the work that, that you're passionate about. So, so for me, it wasn't necessarily about starting something. It was always about the issues I cared a lot about. Uh, and they were primarily focused on on inequities. It wasn't necessarily a, a major um, issue only focused on, let's say, climate or gender or race. It was everything inequity in the world always bothered me. And I always tried to find different platforms, different avenues to then kind of play a role. And, and in some sense, Bean Voyage and, and some of the other things I've done recently have become more of the entrepreneurial spaces where I've I've been able to contribute but I've also been open to if there were opportunities for me to be involved in academia and, and contribute or join another organization that's doing the great work, might as well not you know, reinvent the whole wheel. And so it, it never has been about being born. I, I, I love those stories of people that were born with just like this spirit and they knew how to sell well and they were like great storytellers. Never. I, I, I started with you know, being really angry and, and passionate about why I, we lived in Bangladesh and every single year there were floods happening and, and the first-hand impact, this was back in 2008 and nine. I, I saw first-hand impacts of climate change and it angered me that people gathered in Copenhagen and Paris for these conferences, talked about a billion dollars and here people were being displaced from their home every single year. For me, that mattered a lot more and then eventually it just made more sense for me to start a venture um, and, and that's what kind of I've been involved in for the last... Half a decade. Makes so much sense to me. Makes so much sense to me. So 
knowing now that you kind of stumbled into entrepreneurship, what I'm hearing is, is that a lot of your passion is coming from that international education space, being able to not only study abroad, but also teach and impact uh, abroad. Um, and we're approaching, I'm not sure if you are aware, but we're approaching International Education Week. So talk to us a little bit about what international education means to you specifically. For sure. That's, that's a wonderful question. I think in, in many sense, and, and because I had a, a, a history and it started from a very, like my first school was a, a Pakistani school in Beijing, China, like it couldn't have gotten more like, you know, diverse in, in many sense for me growing up. And so for me, education always meant open spaces where people were felt, you know, made to feel welcome and safe. And, and that's kind of what I always consider to be a, an education space that I wanted to be a part of. And so whenever I looked at international education, and again, it wasn't always intentional, but I was always seeking for, for environments where the, the values of the, the institution and the values of the, the people that I would be spending time with would align a bit more with, with what I cared a lot about, which were some of these social justice issues, some of these environmental issues. And, and, and for me, almost single-handedly, that's been the driver of, of how I decided to study in, in certain place, right? The, the, the schooling in Canada, for example, uh, the school I went to, it's called the United World College. And I de definitely recommend if, if any of the, the listeners are, are in their high school or early days, would really recommend checking it out because what they do is they provide scholarships for kids from all over the world. Almost every country can apply for a scholarship. You, you basically get to spend two years with one other person from another country in, in the world. So like your, your roommates are, I had roommates from Denmark and China and Japan, and you know, you just get to spend time with people and, and somehow it breaks some of these barriers that I think we've as human beings imposed on each other over the years, right? And over the many centuries now. And so that, that was an education system that really worked for me. Uh, the same with my, my education in, in Indiana, um, although it was a, a fairly rural place in, in Richmond, I, I found out about how the Quaker value system aligned a lot well with my personal kind of value and the, the things that I wanted to be involved in. Quakers famously kind of opposing some of the large wars, always being more open to kind of uniting communities rather than dividing it. Uh, and, and, and so it just made perfect sense for me. So for me, the biggest thing about international education is, is finding you know, value aligned institutions and organizations and people and plugging yourself there because that's really where where a lot of the growth happens. Now I know that sounds like the kind of answer that that means that you're not going to spend time with people that disagree with you, and that's not true. Earlham College had its share, fair share of, of people that didn't agree with my values. I have a, a few friends who ended up working for the Trump campaign, so it's happened, and that's fine, and then that's the beauty I think of some of these environments. Um, so, so yeah, that's, I think, what international education really has meant for me. Let's stay in, in Richmond, Indiana and talk a little bit more about your time at Earlham College. Um, I know you were a Davis scholar. What was that experience like for you, not only being there on campus, but as you noticed, those opportunities of being able to study abroad were starting to open back up to you? For sure. So the, the, the Davis Scholarship is a really interesting um, award that's that's provided to students that go to um, the high school that I mentioned. And so Sanki and I both received the Davis Scholarship. What it does is it basically opens up U.S. education, especially U.S. private education opportunities for international students, which is an 
it's unaffordable for every American. It's also unaffordable for everyone else in the world, unless your parents can really afford it, uh, which is which is not the most of us, right? And so, so, so for many of us um, that that couldn't afford a U.S. college, we had a few op opportunities to to apply for different scholarships, and Davis was kind of one of the top ones. They covered pretty much half of my my tuition fee, and then the college would kind of cover some part of it, and that's how it was made more affordable for for myself and and many other people. Um, Richmond, Indiana, it's it's not on your top list of, of places to go for college in terms of location, for sure. It's super cold, uh, not maybe the, the friendliest kind of area for if, if you're if you're looking like us, right? Um, and yet, I think a very very important experience and, and fundamental to my understanding of the U.S. Uh, right. So if I ended up going to school in I don't know like New York City or something like that. I'd probably have a, a, a different perspective of the U.S. than I had by by living in what people consider the kind of Middle East, uh, sorry, Middle Midwest of of the U.S. And oftentimes, I think that was so fundamental for me to understand and go beyond what I usually see and, and read in the news. Right? It's it's that kind of radicalization that you often see uh, and and vilification of the other uh, in whatever sense. And and it was the first time in, in Richmond that I was I was you know pushed a little bit to to rethink a few of my own values, rethink a few of my own um, kind of predispositions of people. Uh, and, and that was actually a, a unique learning opportunity, despite the fact that that was not how, uh, like the, the college itself is super liberal, super open-minded. It's a university of 900 people, right? That's, that's, that's a really, really small university. And so it allowed for us to form our own bubble, but then, you know, also made sure that we were being poked from different angles to make sure that we were aware of like, this is a place where, not everything goes super kumbaya and everyone's always happy. There are people that are, you know, having different opinions and we have to be be ready to and, and, and be prepared to kind of work and, and, and speak and communicate with them as well. Awesome. Um, before we wrap, I want to touch on one other kind of a broad opportunity that you had um, through the University of Virginia. Uh, you were able to do a semester at sea. So talk to me about the World Odyssey and, and kind of your time spent there. <laughs> oh my god so the mv mv world odyssey has such a special place in, in in my heart and i know thousands of people that have had the, the the privilege to to be a part of semester at sea this was this was back in 2015 is, is when it was around the time that we were starting bean voyage i was starting my senior year of college and and all of us in, in senior year of college you had two options you, you write a thesis well, really, you really have one option. You write a thesis or you do some kind of a capstone project, but those are like both academically heavy opportunities. I, over the years, had had gotten enough credits, had kind of finished most of my, my required studies. And so I actually had a lot of kind of availability uh, in my last year. And so I, I had the option of either working on a capstone or a thesis. And then Semester at Sea came onto the dock and it was like, wow, I get to travel to all of these countries. And there was 11 countries over 100 days, it, which included Costa Rica, by the way, and I had just traveled to Costa Rica, so it was kind of a wonderful chance for me to go back to the country um, and, and for me to meet with, with incredible you know, human beings around the world, learn about cultures everywhere um, in, in different parts of the world. And, and so that was kind of a, a wonderful option. And then the other option was, was staying in that fall 
cold weather, <laughs> writing a, a thesis or a capstone. And, and, and it was a pretty easy Sounds decision. Like not, not, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy decision. But, but I think more importantly, uh, and again, I talked about that when I mentioned international education is, is always having intentionality of who is it that I want to spend time with? What is it that I want to kind of achieve out of this experience to make sure it's as meaningful as possible? So I went into semester at C, applied for the program, got a scholarship, and I went into this program knowing that I wanted to start being Voyage and, 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 our, and our team at that point, we were all kind of discussing this, we we're all in college. And I knew that I wanted to spend time thinking about what it meant to start a social venture. And so what I ended up doing, um, so on the ship, I took a, a class from a professor called UA. Uh, it was a class on social entrepreneurship. I took the intro to social entrepreneurship class. As we docked and we would dock in different cities around the world, um, where, wherever we were, as we docked to a city, Everyone else would, you know, we'd go to Morocco. People would go on this like safari ride. I'd go find the first social entrepreneur that wanted to meet with me and spend time with them. And I'd shadow them, try to really see what is it that they're doing. And I, you know, I ended up in, in pretty interesting places. There was a, a place in Dubrovnik where I ended up at, at a like artisan, artisan market. Uh, and she kind of worked with local women that, were, that were, were suffering through different challenges and providing them with an employment opportunity there. Ended up in Trinidad and Tobago. I, I met with someone who's actually become a mentor over the years, and, and she started a, an incredible company, a social enterprise that that makes um, jewelry products with women that face domestic violence at home. And so I, I met with really inspiring individuals throughout the world. And at the end, for me, semester at sea, that that became the biggest highlight is I met people and I got to shadow social entrepreneurs. And when we decided to start being Voyage, I had the confidence and a little bit more understanding of, oh, this is what you should do as a social entrepreneur. So, so big shout out to all those people that just accepted a, a, a random college kid who said, hey, I'm going to be traveling for four days. Can I spend one day with you? And they were just like, come on in, shadow me. Um, so that was that was one of my big highlights amongst so many others from, from Semester Ed. That's awesome. And I really appreciate you for, for sharing, man. Um, it, it's always those individuals who we connect with and give us that one little gem that make us who we are, right? Um, thankful mm -hmm. for the individuals who took that call um, and had that time for you as well. Um, so thank you again for sharing there. Um, I've got one last question for you here um, as we wrap up and then we can talk a little bit about anything you all have anything uh, anything you all have going on here in the in the very near future so um, my last quick thing and this is this is specifically for our listeners here um, I'm looking for some advice all right so what what advice do you have or, or what, what what note would you like to leave for you know some students who are looking to solve issues surrounding global inequity or global inequality, or who are learning or who are interested in learning more about social entrepreneurship? What uh, advice do you have for either or both of those individuals? Yeah, for sure. I think the, the biggest thing that that I wish I had known a bit more about when, when I was in, in, in college and I was a student was was before deciding to start something go and, and spend as much time as you can in the places where you see the problems that you're passionate about. And, and, and that can mean an internship. It, does, it doesn't have to just be, an, it can be just traveling to the communities and, and just spending time. You know, I, I mentioned sharing meals and stories a few times, just doing that, like sharing meals and stories with people who, who are at the core of it. I did some of it. I would have loved to do more of it. And I would really say before you start something, the temptation to start 
is is very common especially now it's become this kind of everyone wants to start but if we can take two steps back before we we decide to press enter and, and launch a website or launch a program just to say can i listen a bit more can i understand a bit more and get a a, a much better sense of what's happening in the community i would say that's that's kind of the the most important thing that that one can do so i'd say make the most of of the opportunities you get to listen cuz it's 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 a tough world everyone's trying to have an opinion and the people that are listening are the ones that are going to really understand the landscape rather than the ones that are spewing things out there absolutely and i could not agree more thank you again sir it has been truly a pleasure um before i let you go is there anything that we can expect from you or from beam voyage in the near future and if not let us know how to contact you if we can for sure i think the 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 two things we're focused on a lot uh and and this is becoming more of a priority for us uh is you know once in a while we ask our producers what are things that are keeping you up at night what are issues that you're concerned a lot about climate change food security over the last year food security just become a drastically bigger issue climate change continues to be a big issue and so we're we're continuing to continuing to think about that we're developing curriculum we're starting to partner with with a lot of organizations and we're always looking for people that are thinking about those issues to to connect with us because we want to share expertise we want to share resources and so always looking for that uh especially because you also work with students we're always looking for interns and so we're we're looking for people to join us in Costa Rica this was our first time since covid this summer we we had two interns come in from um one from the US one from the UK that they, they traveled in everything worked out perfectly um and we've built up kind of infrastructure to host people so if you're looking to to go to communities listen all of that stuff that i mentioned get in touch and, and we're always uh, always open to it um and and then the final thing that i think we're we're going to be looking for uh, forward to in 2022 it's coming up really shortly uh is we're launching a, a really cool uh and for the first of its kind from from at least our knowledge a participatory documentary project um this this project was was something that we launched in November of 2020 with uh in partnership with a US based organization called Needle and Frame uh and together with them and and five of our producers during covid during the height of covid five of our producers have been filming their own journey their own stories um we just launched the trailer a couple of weeks ago uh and we're going to be launching the 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 movies in a few months and so if people are interested I'll I'll share the link with you I'm sure we'll put it somewhere uh and and I'd recommend folks to check it out because this is one of its kind where producers are telling their their own story there's no documentary filmmaker there's no you know no one on the ground they're doing it on their own and it's it's absolutely beautiful so I I can't wait for more people to check it out awesome uh the it's been a pleasure uh we'll make sure to share out the contact information and socials to be able to get in touch with you especially for those internship opportunities as well as to be able to keep up and see the trailers and things of that nature it's been truly um a joy and a pleasure to speak with you today and I can't thank you enough thank you so much for having me Joe really appreciate it thank you This has been another amazing episode of Behind the Biography. Thank you to our guest and thank you so much for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in our programs, please visit our website at envisionexperience.com. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even LinkedIn and tell us what you think at Envision Experience.